of prayer. Father, we thank you very much for uh, your grace and your love and for the things that you do for us in life. And we just pray today that your blessings would be upon this building, the activities that are going on, and that, Father, that we would look to you and that we would put aside the issues of life that, that, are, that are there on a regular basis, and it would just, we'd be focusing on you today. Father, we thank you very much for your love, your grace, for your work. And as we study what it is you've done for us and even prepare for the Lord's Supper, fill us with yourself and draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I wanted to share this during the Sunday School Hour because normally they're not here during the worship service, but Renee and Nita, and she's not here because she's sick. Nita's not, is sick. Anyway, they are celebrating on the 7th, and so today's the first, right? So what is that, Saturday or Friday? Saturday? Yeah, great. Renee and Nita are celebrating their 62nd anniversary this week. So congratulations, Renee. So Nita's home not feeling well, so um, anyway, but that's a long time. Yeah, <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Congratulations. Tell her we threw a party today. She missed a great party, all right? <laughs> Let her know. Man, there were balloons and cake and all sorts of, no. Uh, <laughs> all right. Today, we're studying the, in, in our quarterly, the Pharisee and the tax collector is the lesson um, in our quarterly. And um, so we want to start off with the essential doctrine in this particular lesson. Um, because that is, the, the essential doctrine is justification by faith, which is pretty important. The theological theme, theme is God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. The connection to Christ is that the tax collector is Christ for God to turn away his wrath from a sinner. Through his sacrificial death as our substitute, Jesus took away the wrath of God that our sins deserve. Like the tax collector, we too can cry out to God to have mercy on us and put aside his wrath because Christ has absorbed the wrath in our place. And then the application is God calls us not to look down on people, certainly. Not to consider ourselves better than others because of what God has done in our lives, but that we in humility would tell them about Jesus Christ and what he can do for them as well. The Pharisee and the tax collector, justification by faith. A quarterly says this, the essential doctrine. Justification refers to the moment when a person is objectively declared righteous before God based on the righteousness of Christ's atoning death. Justification refers to the moment when a person is objectively declared righteous before God based upon the righteousness of Christ's atoning death on the cross. This act of declaration takes place through faith in Christ and, and not a result of human works or effort. Through justification, a person is made right in standing before God, changing what was once an estranged and hostile relationship to one of adoption into the family of God. This is a pretty significant deal. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 33, it says this. 
Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised and is who is the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. Who can, who, can, who can bring anything against us? Nobody can because it's God who has done this incredible thing for us. It is God who has, who has made us who we need to be. Go to Romans chapter 3. Let's look beginning in verse 21. Actually, all of 3 is amazing. Let's begin at 3. Um, let's go up earlier in chapter 3. Paul is comparing Jews and Gentiles in this section and making sure that we understand some different things. And, and he says in verse 9, What then, are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And then he says this in verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We read a passage like that, and sometimes the fact of the matter is that a passage like that, Romans chapter 3, is a tough passage for us to swallow. Why? Why do we struggle with Romans chapter 3 a little bit and some of these things that, that it talks about in Romans chapter 3? Because we like to think that somehow we're inherently good. And why do we like to think that? That's a fair statement. Why do we like to think that somehow we're inherently good? What? Okay, we capitalize on our relationship with God, certainly. Why else? Why do we like to think that we're good? Very good. We like to compare ourselves to others. And we look around and so we say, there's a scale somewhere, right? And on this scale, I am a little bit better than other people, right? Therefore, some of the things that it says in here must be talking about other people. Exactly right. They're the people who haven't done, well, good things once in a while. Or who haven't acted in a manner better than a neighbor. Or something like that, right? And, and, and we think in those terms, and so we read a passage that says, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for, for God. And we think, well, I don't know about that. Because I've thought about God every now and again. I've done good things. I've done righteous things. I've, I've done better. Now, now, I know some people have never thought about God. Right? And we do think that, and we go down that path that we have this scale in our mind, okay? And has your scale ever been weighted against you? <laughs> We're pretty good at saying, I'm the better part of the scale. I'm better than I'm bad. That's a good phrase, actually. That's good. And so on the scales of things, when it all comes out, I'm better than I'm bad. That's, that's good. Yet the Bible says what about humanity? It, there is none that are righteous, not even one. Let's read a little bit further here, and then we'll continue our conversation. <clears throat> it says in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 
21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, God's wrath satisfied, a propitiation in his blood through his faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified from faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who justified the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. And this passage of scripture goes in to talk about, we start with verse 23, and, and that's part of what earlier in chapter 3 he said, is that all have sinned. That's the thing that we need to come to grips with, is all have sinned. And so, not only are we talking about a little bit about justification by faith, uh, but we're also talking about that great theological truth of the depravity of man, and that we are all as bad off as we can possibly be, okay? And the bad off means that before we're saved, we're without Christ. We have no hope, okay? And it says we've all sinned. And we are only justified, it says in verse 24, as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now he talks about this later on. You can continue reading in chapter 4. He talks about what Abraham has done. In fact, let's read just a couple of it. Sorry, we'll, we'll do a little bit of chapter 4. What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. But let's just deal with it, something to boast about. If anybody can be justified on their own merits, what is the result of that? Pretty proud of ourselves. We have the opportunity and the ability then to say, look what I did. Okay? We can then say, listen, there are hoops to jump through. I jumped through the hoops. Sorry you didn't. But I did. I've, I'm okay before God now because I jumped through that hoop. So apparently I'm a little better than you because I can jump through the hoops and you can't. Look what I've done. That's the deal. That's what happens. And, and we'll look at the passage um, in Ephesians that talks about that same thing in just a moment here, is that that's what goes on, is that if justification is one of those things that we do by our hand, then we are able to say, look what I've accomplished. If salvation is by works, we're able to say, look what I've accomplished. And as soon as you say, look what I've accomplished, what role does God play in that? He's excluded. I didn't need God to be saved. I needed to jump through the hoops. I needed to do the things that I needed to do. I did those things. I achieved. Here I am. Okay? 
And that's what he's saying about Abraham. If Abraham did that, then Abraham can boast. Now it says not before God, and he goes on to explain all that, but that's the issue. Go to Ephesians, this passage that you know quite well, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. You know these verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is what God has done. It is that gifting of God. God is the one that saves. Okay? And when we understand that, and we'll get to, obviously this will be part of the lesson that we get to in a moment with the, with the story that Jesus tells. Once we understand that, then what should our natural response be when it comes to other people in life? Once we understand that we didn't do it, what should our response be toward other people? Give them the same grace. Understand how it works with them. And toward God in life, how should it be? Being thankful for what God did. Exactly right. That's what it should be. It should be that thankfulness on a regular basis. That's exactly right. Okay? All right. Here's the thing. I don't care how you go about it. I'm gonna, I go about it one way. Some of you in this room may go about it a different way, and that's fine. I'm not real concerned about that right now. How are you saved? By grace, through faith. Okay? And the fact that you're saved is who's doing? God's doing. Okay? It is God's doing. All right? And, it's, and, and, and you need to say that. You need to say it's God's doing. And then eventually down the line, you need to ask the question, why am I saved and they're not saved? Okay? And when you ask that question, and there's no real good answer for that, because some people say, well, I believed and they didn't. Okay, I'll grant you that, because the Bible talks about that. There's no doubt about that. As soon as we say that, as soon as we say that I'm saved and they're not saved, what should that do to me then? It should give me an attitude of thankfulness. It should change my approach to life in, in a complete way. Because why did I believe and they didn't believe? Well, yeah, God's working in my life. I would use the word election. But God working in my life. Exactly right. God said you. You belong to me. Okay? It goes back to God every single time. And as soon as we forget that, what happens in our life? Yep, pride comes in. We become like what we're going to see here with the Pharisee. Okay? I don't care how you do it. I don't care what your theological bent is. I don't care how you get to this whole thing of salvation. I, you, we can throw all that stuff out the, out the door. The bottom line is there comes a point when you're, t when you're talking biblically where you have to come to grips with the fact, who saved me? God saved me. Now you step outside biblical Christianity and you start saying saved by works. We've already said that, seeing how that's ridiculous, that won't work. Okay? Biblical Christianity, God saved me. God saved me. Why did God save me? I don't know. He did, though, didn't he? Okay? He did. Why did he put you where he put you and why did he do what he did and why did he save you? I don't know. I don't understand all those things. 
I don't have all the answers to that. Either do you. Bottom line is that he did. So what is your response going to be when it comes to uh, your approach to God and your approach to life because he did? That's where we need to find ourselves. Yeah, it, it, it should change us in a lot of ways, should it not? Okay? Because here's the thing. Go back to Romans chapter 3 real quick for just a sec. And it says this. Carissa's going to be taking some pictures during Sunday school and during worship. I, oh, you didn't want me to say that, did you? Don't look at her. Nobody look. Sorry about that. I apologize. I did want people to think what's going on. Sorry. Does my hair look okay? <laughs> look at what it says. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. Except now that you're saved, that's different. Understand. That verse is talking about those before they're saved. What happens after I'm saved? After I'm saved, all of a sudden, there are some that are righteous. There are some that understand God. There are some that seek God. And you are among them. How cool is that? Because he saved you. Isn't that amazing? You were not righteous, but now you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Is that something? Because he saved you. He did that. Not because you were religiously smart. Not because you were religiously able. Not because you had insight that someone else didn't. He saved you by his grace. Look what he did for you. Isn't that amazing? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. It says this in verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. It is outside of those things. It is by Jesus Christ. That's a remarkable thing, a absolutely remarkable thing. In verse 21, it says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What I said earlier, if you can jump through the hoops, you don't need God. Right? Because you're able to jump through the hoops. Well, go be saved then. You can't jump through the hoops though, can you? Because Jesus Christ said that if you were to be saved, your righteousness would have to what? Exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, that would have to be pretty good, huh? And part of his point was you can't get there. You can't do it. Your righteousness will never get to the point where it needs to be for you to save yourself. Never, ever, 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 ever. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> and, and I read this earlier, but I want to reiterate this one more time. 27 of chapter 3 and 
verse 2 of chapter 4. In, in 327, where is boasting? It is excluded. It is excluded. Verse 2 of chapter 4, if Abraham was justified by faith, or excuse me, by works, he has something to boast about. Okay? But he has nothing to boast about because he didn't do it. He did not do it. Okay? Genesis chapter 15. And verse 6, and this is a big deal, this particular passage in this verse in Scripture. It says in verse 6, Then he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. There was no, no works involved in that. Okay? He believed, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And listen to these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has cho chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You didn't do it. You didn't save yourself. Okay? God saved you. And under the umbrella of orthodox biblical Christianity, there's a lot of views about how that process exactly takes place, but the bottom line is that we all believe that God saved us, and we didn't earn it, and we didn't work it, and we didn't do it ourselves. And that separates us from all other, all other religious systems and ideas. All other. You understand that, right? You understand that biblical Christianity is the only one that says you're saved apart from your works? It's the only one. Every other system has these works involved in it in one way or another. Biblical Christianity is the only one. Okay? And, and obviously there are all sorts of, of different things within what people accept around this world, and, 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 and Catholicism is one of them. And Catholicism is a system of works. It just is. And there's a lot of others that are systems of works. There's those systems that, that teach baptismal regeneration, a system of works. There's those systems that teach you have to do all of these things. And isn't it interesting that the vast majority of, of systems that are set up that are systems of works, if you ask that person, how can you be sure that you're going to be in heaven? What's their answer? I'm not. Because there's that little bit of doubt because maybe the scales didn't tip in my favor. Huh? Yeah, I had a bad day. Something went on. Exactly right. You never know. Okay? When you save yourself, that's your problem, isn't it? Deep inside, you know you measure up. You get because you can't, can you? You just can't. Biblical Christianity solves that problem, doesn't it? Okay? Because deep inside, do you measure up? No, because you're not. You, can, you in and of yourself, do you measure up? But you in Christ, do you measure up? 
Because of what? He measures up. Jesus Christ, that's exactly right. It is he who measures up. Okay, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, hopefully these kinds of things will come back to you. And, and the verse that says, that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God in him, that we might become. We were declared righteous by God. A judicial declaration, you are now righteous because of Jesus Christ. Now, having said all of that, and as we go through this quarterly and, and this whole gospel project thing, hopefully you're understanding that the great theological truths are related to one another. Okay? Because one of the great theological truths that's related to this is justification by Christ, and justification by Christ alone only works if we believe that Jesus Christ is what? What? God and sufficient, sinless, exactly right. So we have to understand that our doctrine, doctrine matters. That if I, if I say that Jesus Christ was not sinless, if I say that Jesus Christ was not fully God, if I say he wasn't sufficient, my justification is in trouble, is it not? Because then what is it based upon? Yeah, we go back to that whim again. What's the deal? Okay? And so that's why it's so important that we understand that all of these things are connected and to have a good, solid theological understanding matters. Okay? This is who he is. Because of who he is, he can now do this. And I can be saved. And it all matters and it's all related and it's all very, very important. Okay? All right. Let's go to Luke 18, and let's look at parable for a little while here, and, and I, want you to, I want you to be open about this a little bit this morning. I, I want you to understand that maybe, 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 just maybe, a little bit of you is in this today, Okay? that we might struggle with this ourselves every now and again. Luke 18, verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So he starts off this parable explaining things to us so that we would understand. He starts explaining this to us right away so we'd get what's going on here. He told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Because that is exactly what happens. When you trust in yourself as righteous, you look down on other people. Okay? You do that all the time. Okay? We talk a lot about our culture and what goes on in our society. Our culture is all about this, is it not? The United States of America was built upon this idea, basically. You can do it. Trust in yourself. You're the one. Okay? And so we need to understand that this whole idea that, that has really marked our nation and our world, our whole lives, doesn't fit with the scriptures well at all. And you need to understand that. Okay? 
You can't do it spiritually. You can't. It's impossible. And we sometimes will take what we've learned our whole life and we try to practice that in Christianity and we see that something doesn't work. What's going on? Okay? That truly the Bible really does slap around culture over and over again. And we need to understand that. I can't. And if I believe that I can, then I will look around at other people and I will say, what's your problem? How come you can't? Okay? I did. Why can't you? All right? We need to understand this. We need to get the fact that if I trust in myself, I tend to look down on other people in an incredibly inappropriate, ungodly, unbiblical, wrong way. I need to not do that. And we need to work on that in our lives. He, he said that he did this with those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. I want to challenge you a little bit that, that sometimes even, even in understanding biblical Christianity, there are times when we view others with contempt because we have the answers and you don't. I didn't get the answers on my own. I'm going to give God credit for it still. But every once in a while, we'll look and say, well, I, we have the answers, and so we're better than you. And we need to be very, very careful about that. That's an easy thing to fall into. Okay? Why do you have the answers? God gave them to you. God's grace. Why do you live the lifestyle you live? I'm going to ask a handful of questions now. The answer is going to be God's grace every time, okay? Why do you live the, the lifestyle you live? Why do you have the things you have spiritually? Why do you have the blessings you have from God spiritually and physically? It's God's grace over and over again. Every single thing we ask about that, it's God's grace. It's been given to me. I have, I have no right to think that I'm better than somebody who doesn't have them. God's grace is why those things have been given to me. And when we think just spiritually especially, just think spiritually, it's God's grace. It is God's grace. It is God's grace. It is God's grace. Over and over again, you have been given this. You have been given, you have been, you have been given these things. It is God's gift to you. It is your responsibility to say, what am I going to do with these things now? Okay? But sometimes we think, I have it. And we're kind of proud about that. And we need to understand that we can't do that. It is God's grace that has done that for us. Let's read the next couple of verses. Luke 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Okay, now what do we know about Pharisees? Self-righteous. Self-made <laughs> men. That's exactly right. They were the rulers, right? And they, had, they were the elite. They were the best of the best. Okay? And it, you know what's really kind of interesting about self-righteous? And they were simply self-righteous because of why. Do you know why a Pharisee became a Pharisee? Yeah, but why did they become a Pharisee, by and large? You were born into it. That's the answer. If you were ever going to become a Pharisee, you had to be born into it. There was, it was a caste system. Okay? And you had no chance of ever becoming a Pharisee if you weren't born in the right way. Okay, you had to, you, it, it's, that's how it was. You had to be of a certain family, of a certain tribe, of those kinds of things. That's how it was. And so they were self-righteous, and yet it was 
that's what they're doing. <laughs> now, they, they did some things, like Paul, we read that he went to school and he learned and he did some things, but it was handed to them to a certain degree. You were going to be a Pharisee, okay, right? So anyway, it's interesting that we have that with Pharisees, and they were very proud of that, and, and, and they ruled. We're in charge. We make the rules. We're better than all of you, okay? What do we know about tax collectors? They were despised. They took advantage of others. Exactly right. And oftentimes, I, this is just my own personal opinion here, but, but if the Roman government was looking for people who were going to take advantage of other people, chances are they were looking for in, unscrupulous people to begin with. I mean, right, they weren't, chances are. So tax collectors were not, if we're talking caste system, right, we have the Pharisees are way up here and the tax collectors are way down here, right? Okay, and you guys know that. So, Jesus is going to talk about a Pharisee and a tax collector, and it says this, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, which is an interesting phrase in and of itself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all of I get. Are you paying attention, God? I'm a pretty good guy. And it's interesting how he phrased it, right? How did he phrase it at the very beginning of the prayer? He was praying to himself, but that's not the part I meant. But you're right, he was praying to himself, which is an interesting phrase. He begins his prayer by, talking, by doing what? By thanking God. What a good guy. Right? He didn't ignore God in this prayer, did he? He started by thanking God. God, I want to thank you that I am the best. <laughs> I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. Or I'm not even like this tax collector. I even do religious good things. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Now, we know enough about the Bible. We know enough about God and all that stuff. And, and Jesus obviously is doing this. Is that, you know, God hears something like that and you would think he would just want to spew, Right? Seriously? <laughs> it's kind of like, like Jesus talking to the guy who says, you know, I, I, I've kept all of these things from my youth. What more, what more must I do? Right? And Jesus saying, well, here's at least one I know that you're struggling with. This guy said, look, I thank you for this. Now, I've made fun of this, and we've laughed at that this morning. But do you think that our prayers ever sound like this? God, I thank you that that I'm not like other people, that I'm not a swindler and I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer, I'm, I'm, I'm not even like this tax collector, and after all, I, I do what I'm supposed to do religiously on a regular basis. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Look what I've done, God. Are you paying attention to me? Look what I've done. Is that the point of prayer? not, is it? Is that sometimes how our prayers turn out? It is sometimes, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> and it, sometimes it's how it comes across. Huh? Our, our prayers come across as, let me just, let me phrase it a different way, not even with our prayers. Do you think that, that you've ever thought or Christians ever think, every once in a while we think, God knew what he was doing when he saved me. I I'm good for God. Look at me. 
I do good things for God. We need to be very careful because the Bible says back in Romans 3 that none righteous. All have sinned. Okay? The depravity of man. You're all in the pool. And the pool is disgusting and gross and grimy and horrible. And you can't get out. And God's righteousness plucked you out, cleaned you up, and put you somewhere else. Or if we're to talk about it in a different way, we're all on our way to eternity without Jesus Christ. Darkness. No light, no truth. And God said, that one is going to be mine and spend eternity with me. Good phrase, Keith. That's well put. That is well put. As you're examining yourself for communion and one guy is, ah, I can't think of much I've done. When I, you know, when it's time for you, when we're passing the elements and it's time for you to examine yourself and you think, no, nah, I've done pretty good this week. That's a good example and a good way. I bet you not a one of us will not think about that when we do this, <laughs> the Lord's Supper in about an hour. Every one of us are going to be thinking, hmm. And the, and the Pharisee, on the other hand, or excuse me, the tax collector on the other hand in verse 13, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but he was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. One of the things that needs to happen in our life and one of the things that the Bible does for us on a regular basis is we need to have a proper understanding of who we are and a proper understanding of who God is. Those two things are incredibly important in our lives. Okay? Incredibly important in our lives. And God is completely just, and God is merciful and graceful and wise, and God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's holy, and we are the opposite of that on every turn. Okay? On every turn. And it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, you need to say, it's God. God has done it. God has done this for me. God has transformed. God has worked. God is the one. Over and over again, I give God the credit and the glory without a doubt. And we need to work on that in our lives sometimes, don't we? God be merciful for, to me because I recognize that it's grace. My salvation is grace. The blessings I enjoy are grace. The fact that you love me and are involved in my life is grace. The spiritual blessings that you talk about are grace. God, it is all grace. Over and over again, it is you rather than me. Jesus said then in verse 14, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, we understand the reason why he was justified is because God had done the justification and we're seeing the results of that justification in this man's life. But at the very end of this parable, Jesus mentioned something that's incredibly important. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We learn, we learn these examples from 
the Bible. We see it from Jesus and his life. We see it from Paul and his life. We see it throughout the epistles on a regular basis that the Bible says that we need to humble ourselves before God and God will lift us up and God will do a remarkable work in our lives. But when we exalt ourselves, God says, not so fast here. Hold on. Okay? Yes, Cheryl? Yeah, exactly right. Look how I've humbled myself. That's exactly right. Yeah. And we need to be careful about that too, don't we? That's exactly right. We need to be very, very careful about that. Okay? Yeah, Ricky? Yes. Yeah, the, the Pharisee was looking for words from other people, looking for affirmation from other people, wanting to have other people say, yes, you're right, you are really something. Oh, I'm sorry, the worst than other people. Yeah, absolutely he was. Yeah, you betcha. And saying, I'm glad that that's not me. And all of Yeah, that's exactly right. How do you approach God? How do you approach God? Okay. How, how, do you, how do you view these things? Do you understand that your righteousness is because God has done this for you? Okay? That y- you do not deserve it. You do not. You know, I, I, think, I, think about that, I think about that a lot in my life um, when I think, uh, why, is it, why is it that many years ago God saved me and nobody else in my immediate family? I don't have a good answer. But you have a good answer for what that should do to you. You have a good answer for how that should form you, how that should shape you. You have a good answer for what your response should be next. Look what God has done. And, and we, every one of us can ask that question in different ways in our lives. Look what God has done for me. Why did God, why'd you do that for me today, God? I don't understand why you did that for me today, God, but I'm incredibly grateful to you. You didn't need to do that. That was awesome. That was remarkable. That's, 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 that's really something. Okay? Look what you've done for me today. And I hope that you do that on a regular basis. It, you know, we use that phrase a lot. Look, look what God has done. That phrase comes out a lot. Look what God is doing. Look what God has done. Hopefully you see that, and, and you're thankful for that, that this is what God is doing in your life, that you have the ability to do what you're doing. Okay? And we need, to, we need to make sure that we approach life that way. But understand first and foremost that any righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. You never, never, never earn your own. You're not righteous enough to do it. You can't do it. Filthy rags, the Bible says. Filthy rags. And it's okay to say that about yourself because of what, who you are now. And we're, and we're talking about spiritually that's who we are. Okay? Spiritually. Okay? We're as bad off as we can possibly be spiritually. And then look what God does for us. And he saves us and he transforms us. Okay? The whole thing here is pretty interesting. And, and as Jesus started this thing again in verse 9, he said, Luke explains to us, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. I want to challenge you with that as we, as we stop. Those who are righteous today, even as we see ourselves as righteous in the right way, how do we view others? How do we view others in our lives? 
And, you know, it's easy, I think, and if you're honest, you'll say the same thing. It's easy sometimes to view people with contempt, isn't it? We need to be very careful about that. Because that phrase, but by the grace of God, it's true, isn't it? It's very true. But by the grace of God, that's me, not him. And he said, you need to understand that your righteousness is because of me and not for any other reason. Not for any other reason. Let's pray. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. And I just pray that we would understand the importance of this. And even as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we would come to grips with the deep, deep, deep love that you have for us and that transforming, changing love that you bestow upon us on a regular basis. That we would understand your, your grace. We don't know why you work the way you work in many ways at many times. But Father, we thank you that you are working and you are full of wisdom and you know what you're doing. And so Lord, I just pray that you would grow us, that you would forgive us if we view anyone with contempt, and that we would not do that any longer, but we would recognize that as those who have been given righteousness, as those who have been given remarkable grace in so many areas, it's our job now to share in love with others, and that we would understand who we are and understand who you are, and in understanding that, we truly would be changed. We stand amazed that we have been made righteous. We know that we are not deserving. But you said, this one belongs to me. This one's my child. You have saved us. We thank you for that. Father, we just pray that this message this lesson would resonate with us and that we would cherish it and that uh, even as we go into the service and work toward the Lord's Supper that it would be just right there and we would worship you we pray in Jesus name